The following is brought to you by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, Will Harris, and Craig. Hello and welcome everybody to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast for Wednesday, May 12th, 2021. It's your old pal, Justin Robert Young. We have a great show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about Joe Manchin and specifically a question that we got in from a listener about why Biden doesn't play hardball with the moderates that he needs in his camp if he is going to get his programs through. We are also going to talk about the deadbeat dad summer heading west just when you thought Andrew Cuomo owned the ability to atone for past sins by way of giving gifts. Oh boy, Gavin Newsom is on the scene. We also have a great interview about the trajectory of one of the most revered, loathed, feared, iconic organizations in American politics. The National Rifle Association, the NRA as it is better known. The problem for the NRA is that they are beset on all sides by problems. And the reason why is coming from the inside. Is the NRA on the descent? Are there other organizations that are picking up the mantle for Second Amendment fans? And how does that affect its political relevance? All of that discussed in an interview with Stephen Gutowski of The Reload a little bit later on. A little headline to start us off here, though. The FDA has authorized the Pfizer COVID vaccine for Americans 12 to 15 years old. So remember, it has been 16 and up until now. Now the the tweens and early teenagers are able to get it. This will almost certainly drive our vaccination rate up even higher as, uh, you know, they don't get a choice. (laughs) You know, when mom says, go, we're going to get your vaccine, that's pretty much it, right? That's kind of a wrap there. So uh, Pfizer, the first one to get emergency authorization on that. Uh, We would presume if the same timeline holds that uh, Moderna would be next and Johnson and Johnson after that. Although who knows whether or not the Johnson and Johnson blood clot stuff complicates, uh, you know, complicates what happens with with 12 to 15 year olds. I would hope not, uh, uh, mostly because I, you know, 
one more time. I'll say it. I know it's it's a broken record for a lot of you guys, but I really do appreciate the fact that the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is there for anybody for any reason that doesn't trust the mRNA thing. I would trust the mRNA thing. I think the science is there to say that you should. But look, it's a buffet. I'm glad we have that other option, uh, specifically when the government doesn't terrify us by putting it on hold for a week and a half. But first, it appears President Biden may still be far apart from Republicans, as we just said, ahead of resuming negotiations over his infrastructure and jobs plan. In I think they should be separated. I do think they should be separated because when you start putting so much into one bill, which we call an omnibus bill makes it very, very difficult for the public to understand. I know I normally reserve mailbag stuff for Friday's episode, but I wanted to read this that came in from Nick from Springfield. He writes, my biggest issue with Biden is why he seems to actually want to engage the other side. I understand the theoretical why he made a promise as a candidate to be president for all Americans. But if I'm Biden, I'm going full Trump on the likes of cinema and mansion. You play nice with these bills and your state's going to benefit greatly. If you don't, we are not only going to primary you with a traditional Democratic candidate. We're going to let the progressives run wild on your state and primary you with five different candidates. Well, Nick, it got me thinking that we should probably explain exactly what we're talking about when we discuss leverage in the Senate. Why is Joe Manchin popular? Is it just that Joe Biden doesn't have the will to move him off? Is there a a respecting of the mythical Sorconian bipartisanship? No. Joe Manchin has leverage. And here's why he has leverage. Let's do the math. Biden needs 50 votes in the Senate. At the numbers that he's talking about for these programs that he wants to push forward in the T for trillions, those 50 are going to almost certainly be Democrats. Republicans are not going to vote for a trillion dollar package of anything. That means that you got to get your ducks in a row. And let's say getting your ducks in a row mean you have to play hardball with Joe Manchin. Biden just went with Manchin, uh, met with Manchin on, on Tuesday. So let's say during that meeting, you say, hey, 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 Joe to Joe, all right? Come on, here's the deal. If you don't vote for this, if you don't stop squawking around, making trouble, for the Biden Express, then you are going to face a challenge and I will not rest a night until you are primaried and out of the Senate. Say Joe did that and he's, he's shaken. He's, you know, you can, you can see all the, you know, the, the, I was going to say something mean about facial surgeries. Anyway, uh, he's mad. He's mad. Joe's very, very mad. Cool. 
Well, let's look at what that would actually be. Uh, Joe Manchin won his uh, West Virginia Senate seat most recently in 2018, which means that Biden would be threatening to derail Manchin's political career in 2024. That's when they're both on the same ticket. So obviously Biden would probably be a little busy. Also, Biden is the oldest president in American history running for re-election, so I don't know exactly how much extra time the famously road-shy campaigner in 2020 is going to have to be going down to West Virginia to pump up a primary opponent. And also, it's going to be a tall order to find a centrist mansion replacement. Nobody in West Virginia politics, Republican or Democrat, has the name recognition of Manchin. He was a popular governor of the state elected in 2004, and he's been a senator from West Virginia since 2010. That means that by the time he decides whether or not Manchin is, is if he's even going to run in 2024, he will be two decades of electoral success. That matters. Also, Nick, uh, uh, you 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 never want a lot of primary challengers. You want one primary challenger, one that you can put all your weight and money into and campaign for. So uh, uh, let's let's not let our ambitions get dulled here. Let's find. A, a name recognition that at least we can be in the ballpark with. Somebody that we can go and run against Joe Manchin. Okay. Who are the nationally recognized or at least state recognized politicians in West Virginia? All right. We have Governor Jim Justice. Uh, he's a, a, a Republican. Okay. Lieutenant Governor. Republican. Uh, there's the other senator. From West Virginia, Shelley Moore Capito, Republican. Oh, oh, I got an idea. I got an idea. West Virginia is losing a House seat because of this new reapportionment. Maybe one of them can run. Oh, no, no. They, they got three. They're going to have two and they're they're all Republicans. OK, all right, whatever. So so you don't have any ready to go, out of the box, name recognition, centrist Democrats. That's fine. That's fine. There's a new day dawning. You just need the right progressive candidate to awaken the beast in West Virginia. People are probably sick of Joe Manchin cosplaying as a Democrat. In fact, I'll bet you by the end of this four years that Biden has been uh, trying to push things and for all the the, the guff he's going to get if the Dems don't get enough done before the midterms, that Joe Manchin is going to be vulnerable. He's going to be vulnerable to a progressive. That was certainly the perspective of Paula Jean Swearingen who primaried Manchin in 2018. You know, the biggest challenge has been name recognition. A lot of people know Joe Manchin. A man walked up to me the other day and he said, are, are, who are you running against? I said, Joe Manchin. He said, I don't want to know anymore. I want to vote for you. Um, I think <laughs> a lot of people that 
are going to show up and see my name on the ballot and are going to vote for me whether they know my name or not. Swearingen is exactly what we said we needed. True Blue, Young Turks interviewing justice, Democrat-backed progressive challenger to the most conservative Democrat in the Senate. And Joe Manchin won over 70% of the vote in their primary. Wasn't particularly close. There is no power but future power, and that counts for threats, too. If Biden told Joe Manchin that he was going to run him out on a rail with a progressive challenger, it's basically the same as you walking into a bank and saying, I'm going to levitate all the money out of it with my mind. The reaction to both would be, sure, dude, go ahead and try. But here's the other thing that you need to think about. After Manchin in 2018 beat Swearingen, he went on to face West Virginia's attorney general in that general election. And Manchin went all out, calling in favors from non-political figures like Alabama head coach Nick Saban, basketball legend Jerry West, and college basketball coach Bob Huggins to endorse him. Joe and I grew up together in West Virginia, and he never forgets where he came from. He loves our state. He's dedicated his whole life to West Virginia. I swear that there's no one that loves the people of West Virginia more than Joe Manchin. I don't have a better friend or know a better person than Joe Manchin. My friend Joe works with Republicans and Democrats to get things done. And I'm proud to tell people that Joe Manchin is my U.S. Senator. I'm Joe Manchin, and I approve this message for all West Virginians. Manchin won, but only by 3%. So let's say that Biden did the impossible and primaried Joe Manchin successfully. You got him out on the Democratic side. Boy, you better hope you can win statewide in West Virginia as a Democrat. You better hope that Joe Manchin's not the only man on the planet that can hold that distinction. Because right now, that would be a red seat if Manchin just got abducted by aliens and there was a special election. To give you a sneak peek of what that would look like, Paula Jean Swearingen, remember her from the beginning? She ran again in 2020. So she loses to Manchin in uh, 2018. She runs again in 2020. And she wins the Democratic nomination this time. She goes all the way to the general. She challenges Republican incumbent Shelley Moore Capito. And she loses. Again. Capito gets 70% of the vote. Meaning that Swearingen's opponent got 70% of the vote against her. Again. Maybe that's why she's Swearingen. Because she loses so much, she's always drinking gin. So if you're Joe Biden, your choice is either dealing with a cranky Joe Manchin who has leverage on you, 
or having two GOP senators from West Virginia. Unfortunately for Biden, if he doesn't do what Manchin says, he doesn't have the votes. It's the reason why you're reading things uh, this week about the GOP moving their offer up, maybe getting a little closer to a trillion dollars on infrastructure. Likely because Biden is serious about working with them, not because he has some phony promise to the nation, but because without Manchin giving him the option for reconciliation, Biden doesn't have a choice. Just when you thought the deadbeat dad summer was an East Coast only experience. California. Gavin Newsom has entered the chat. The embattled CA governor facing a recall vote in the fall hit the state with twin announcements on Monday. First, due to capital gains taxes from the pandemic year, the state has a eye-popping, remarkable 75.7 billion dollar budget surplus. Holy moly. That's a lot of people taking money out of stocks because this was largely a capital gains uh, uh, surplus, according to Gavin. You know, I I wonder if a lot of people were taking money out of stocks, they were liquidating stocks because they were making like big purchases, you know, like maybe buying houses. Yeah, I wonder where they are buying their houses. You know, because like we we were in California and we actually liquidated a bunch of stock to buy a house, but we didn't we didn't buy it in California. Like we're gonna be out of California. You know, I wonder if that if this is kind of a a, a symptom that the California tax base over the next couple of years is gonna shrink a little bit, which means that this seventy five point seven billion dollars is is a tax. Hall a one-time boom that maybe they should they should hoard and and spread around for a little bit, considering the scope of California's social programs. California. Hell no. Cause the second announcement for Gavin is that he's giving the money directly to the people. In his California comeback plan that was announced Monday as well. Newsom has proposed sending $600 to every resident making under $75,000 with an additional $500 to families with dependents. What's more is he set up a tour to promote the plan, which is not a campaign. That would be desperate. It's just a tour. Talking about the plan to send money directly to voters weeks before they go to the polls to decide if Gavin should lose his job. Also, the comeback plan is going to include the $27 billion that came in from the federal government in the last COVID relief bill. This has already 
rankled uh, GOP senators who initially and and throughout the vote saw the bill as too big. Uh, And now they're going to watch the money that was sent to California be used as a political cudgel for Newsom. You know, Gavin isn't in a bad position for this. California is emerging from the pandemic. Even the most restrictive counties have begun to resemble their former selves. For instance, bars opened for indoor drinking for the first time since March 2020 in Oakland last weekend. Unemployment is still high, however, at over 8%, where the national average is around the low sixes. Also, summer is when things tend to go wrong in the state. Most California counties have already been pre-announced as drought counties. That means probably fires. If unemployment is high and the news doesn't blow your way, then riots are a possibility, if not a likelihood. And then later in the season, you get mudslides. Will those sour people on Sacramento leadership Will the stimmies make people forget about the French laundry? Are California residents going to have stimmy fatigue because they've gotten so many of them between the federal government and now the state? Will that $600 be less special? Will Gavin get a challenger that isn't a Kardashian character or adult with a bear? Only time will tell. The new Monday PX3 Extra is an essential listen for folks who want the politics, politics, politics perspective on what narratives are emerging and how each side is going to attempt to spin it. What's more, this episode that is exclusive to folks who support us at TakePoliticsSeriously.com at the $3 level has a new very appealing publish time. First thing, Monday morning. Make PX3 Extra Monday the first thing you listen to as you start your work week and get perspective on things that matter. Like, on this debut edition, Liz Cheney's upcoming ouster from GOP leadership and how Joe Biden's administration is going to spin the less-than-rosy economic news. Also, Things that aren't really important but are fun to talk about, like former President Trump calling a horse a junkie. You can only and exclusively get the brand new PX3 Extra Monday, which is basically the first part of our free episodes on Wednesday and and, and Friday. It's just the me talking stuff. If you want just the me talking stuff on Monday and Thursday, and now this new Monday uh, edition drops at midnight, so you can make it the first thing you listen to, you gotta go over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. That's where you sign up at the $3 level. That's where you get your custom RSS feed. You put that into the podcatcher of your choice, and on your way to work, on your way to school, on your morning jog, when you're taking care of errands in the morning and, and, and your brain is just that soft, malleable mush 
and you just want nutrition, oh, just, just, just water that brain with just a framing of the political world. So everything that happens during the week, you can look at it and not be pulled around by the nose, by the spin, but instead say, oh, that's what the Democrats are trying to do. Oh, that's what the Republicans are trying to do. Only one place to go. TakePoliticsSeriously.com The NRA, among the heavyweights of political activism, it, in my mind, stands alone with Planned Parenthood in terms of holding press attention and political sway. And yet, the venerable organization, which been, has been around since like the Civil War, is under siege from all sides. State investigations, personal scandals, and a disgruntled base. All grievances trace back to one man, Executive Vice President Wayne LaPierre. So the big question, is the NRA fading from the relevancy that it has held for the past several decades? Here to help us answer that question and much more is Stephen Gutowski. Stephen is the founder of TheReload.com, a site dedicated to covering gun policy and politics. Welcome to the show, Stephen. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, this is a topic that I find fascinating because the NRA is an organization that is discussed across all elements of our political spectrum. It is probably in the short list of uh, across liberals and conservatives, the most influential politically motivated organizations. And yet a tweet from you uh, uh, about some uh, problems that at NRA head Wayne LaPierre is is in the middle of kind of opened up a whole world to me on exactly how popular it is on the right, which I feel like is totally missed on the left, where it, it remains this kind of boogeyman. So before we get into the, the popularity of the NRA, let's mm-hmm. set up what uh, is going on right now at the head. Can you describe the reason why Wayne LaPierre was uh, uh, saying in court the actual membership of the NRA? Uh, what, what, what got us to that point? <laughs> Well, it's been a long road now. It's been several years, uh, several year ordeal, I guess you could call it, uh, at the NRA, um, <clears throat> which started back in, well, at least 2019, when at least that's when it broke out in public view, when uh, there was internal fighting between Wayne LaPierre, uh, the executive vice president of the NRA, and uh, Oliver North, who was the president of the NRA at the time. Um, now, you know, it sounds to most people probably would think that president of a group has more power than the vice president. But uh, the way the NRA is structured, that's not really true. The president is more of a, a figurehead uh, fundraising position uh, with some internal power. But the executive vice president is one who runs everything uh, at the NRA. And so 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 totally coincidental <laughs> that it is the second in command of the organization that advocates for the Second Amendment. That is the one that is most in charge. <laughs> right. Although they also have 
So they have an executive vice president. I, the, this is, I guess, maybe ancillary to the point, but they have um, they have very weird naming schemes for their executives. So they have the executive vice president, which is the person, he's also the CEO, uh, which probably gets it across better to most people. But then you also, have the, then you have the president. Then there's also two uh, vice presidents. So you have a first vice president and a second vice president uh, on oh top of uh, on top of that. So yeah, the, the naming schemes can be pretty complicated over there for whatever reason. Um, but either way, there was a big fight over uh, accusations of financial impropriety. You know, of basically funneling off uh, NRA money for personal expenses like um, you know yacht trips, uh, private flights to Italy and the Bahamas. Uh, you know, these were all things that Wayne LaPierre was accused of doing, um, at the time. And then, you know, Wayne LaPierre accused Oliver North of, uh, trying and, and Ackerman McQueen, who was the NRA's top contractor for decades, uh, of trying to blackmail him into retiring, uh, stepping down from the organization. And then, uh, a short time after that, we found out that uh, this was all brought on by uh, an investigation opened up by the New York Attorney General, uh, Letitia James, uh, who's a Democrat in, in, uh, in New York, obviously. And she uh, she uh, had begun investigating these accusations of impropriety and file, ended up filing a lawsuit against the group with the intention of uh, shutting them down basically uh, completely dissolving them, um, which is a very radical move. Uh, something that we really haven't ever seen in American history to this degree before with an organization, the size of the NRA. And so, uh, you know, that, that put the NRA in a hard position where, um, you know, LaPierre isn't going to step down. Um, and, and so they've, tried to find a way to uh, solve this problem of the, the lawsuit from the attorney general. And their solution was to file for bankruptcy um, in Texas. Um, so <laughs> um, it all gets very complicated fast. Sure. But they uh, they uh, are based in New York. Technically they're chartered in New York. So like technically they're a New York nonprofit. Uh, although their offices are all based in Virginia. Um, so, so that that is that is why the attorney general uh, James had purview over yes. the NRA was because it is a, a technically a a New York chartered nonprofit and, and and I'm presuming that that was from their initial origins. Yep. Yeah. Way back uh, post Civil War, when uh, the group was first founded, it was created by a Union general um, up in New York. So that's where they've been chartered. Uh, the last, you know, uh, almost forever, yeah. 150 yeah. years or whatever it's been. And um, <clears throat> they, uh, they have um, kept that charter there since then. And so technically they fall under the purview of the uh, New York attorney general when it comes to enforcing, you know, New York's nonprofit laws. And so, uh, and obviously, you know, skimming money off of the, out of the organization as is, you know, the accusation is not allowed under um, New York's uh, laws. And James, you know, her accusations are very wide ranging. She accuses 
Wayne LaPierre and other executives of stealing tens of millions of dollars over decades from the group. And so essentially she, her argument is that there, there aren't any safeguards in place and it's not salvageable the way that it is now. Um, you know, the board is not providing proper oversight. The executives are um, st- t- basically stealing money from the group. It's her accusation. And so it can't be reformed. And so she wants it shut down. Now, obviously she is also a um, openly a political uh, adversary of the NRA. So that complicates things quite a lot. Uh, I would, I would say, but um <clears throat> You know, she called them a terrorist organization when she was running for, um, for attorney general. For attorney so, general, yeah. And and yes. just and just for 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 listeners to uh, keep consistency, Letitia James is also the attorney general that that brought uh, a lot of the information to light on Cuomo putting yep. the uh, uh, patients back in nursing homes, and is currently uh, compiling the sexual assault investigation that has triggered. Cuomo's deadbeat dad summer where he cannot uh, uh, create more uh, happiness amongst his people yes. in, in waiting for those results to fall. So obviously a busy, busy woman, Letitia James. Yes. She she brings us to this point. And this is what brought my attention to this story. Wayne LaPierre under oath talking about how many current members of the NRA there are. And before you tell us that number, you added great context where he, when he had first come into power, had set a goal. What was the goal and where are they now? Well, uh, well, he actually first came into power in the 90s. So that, okay. that, but he did set a goal in 2013, right? So in 2013, the NRA saw a great deal of growth in membership. Um, they they moved up from you know uh, about 4.3 million members to 5 million members um and so when lapierre first announced that at the group's this, this, annual that, meeting that, that, that i assume was was obama inspired i would guess by by just the time yeah, frame this alone. Was, yeah right this was um 2013 was after the sandy hook uh school shooting which gotcha. inspired probably the last uh really um um, fierce push for federal gun for new federal gun control legislation. And, right? and that's, and so during that push, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. The naturally the NRA benefited from people who, who were opposed to these new gun uh, proposals um, joined the NRA to, to, to uh, try and stop them and successfully did of course uh, at the time. And so, so yeah, that, that's why they experienced the growth, but they, they went to, they got up to 5 million members and LaPierre set a goal for 10 million members. Um, now, he didn't put a, a specific timetable on that, I guess. Uh, I suppose he could still at some point reach that goal. But now, <laughs> eight years later, um, LaPierre said in court himself that they are at 4.89 million members today. Um, and obviously, this presents a, a, a significant problem for them um, long term because if they haven't grown, at all in the last eight years, you know, that that's not a good sign for the health of the organization. Uh, so uh, among the many things that I learned about uh, a gun organization culture uh, after uh, coming across your story is that the NRA makes, uh, you know, has a deal like I'm sure many nonprofit organizations do where you can become 
lifetime members for for I presume a, a flat fee up front. Does that four point eight million figure include the lifetime members? Yes. And that's about 40% of the members, the total wow. membership. So that's like two, two million people or so. Um, and that also presents another problem because obviously, uh, like you said, lifetime members are one-time payment uh, uh, members. So that they don't, they don't continue to pay into the organization, you know, unless they're giving donations outside of their membership, um, which I'm sure many of them do, but uh you know, they're, they're not a consistent source of income for, for the, uh, the organization. And so really they're only pulling from, uh, on a regular basis, those yearly or five-year members, um, which, which is a small, even smaller pool than, uh, than that 4.89 million. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot you can take away from it. The, there's not a lot good that you can take away from, from the NRA and their position right now. Cause you know, you certainly all political organizations like the NRA go through uh, periods of, of flux, right. They, they yeah. tend to get bigger during election seasons uh, when people start paying attention more and then, you know, choose to join the organization or they'll, or they'll pick up new members when their particular issue is is at the center of, of attention. And then you see that with the NRA plenty of times. But at, you know, if you don't have significant growth or any growth, you really have regression after eight years. Um, that you know, that's a bad sign for long-term health of an organization. And <clears throat> the NRA, uh, by extension, it's a bad sign for um gun owners and gun, well, the gun rights movement, I would say, because the NRA, whatever people think of it, and obviously everybody has a lot of different opinions one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. It turns out they do. (laughs) um, They, uh, they are legitimately the most influential group in, um, on guns and in the world really. Um, and the, the reason for that is, is their membership. They have, uh, you know, 4.89 million, maybe less than them the 5 million they had in 2013, but uh, that still represents people who pay them money to be a part of the group, right? It's not like a mailing list. It's not like, like, uh, you know, you'll see every town talk about their, they have 5 million members, but what they really mean is 5 million people signed up for their free email list or like them on Facebook. It's not the same thing at all. uh, As having having recurring payment or at least from from that number that that Wayne Lapierre gave 60% of that number is paying into the coffers each and every month. Sure, but even the 2 million lifetime members like they paid they, yeah, they a did substantial pay, amount yeah. of money to get that membership. So, you know, it does that that's more where their influence draws from is their is their membership. It's not really the it's not as much the money that they give to candidates or uh or whatever the lobbying that they do, not that that has no impact, but you know, the NRA isn't, isn't anywhere near one of the biggest spenders when it comes to political organizations, um, in elections. So they, um, they're a relatively mid-level player when it comes to that. It's their, their influence comes far more from the fact that people are passionate enough about the issue to that 5 million will pay to be a member of one particular group. And then, you know, of course there's lots of other groups as well, but that's the reason 
too that so it's it's a bad sign for the movement overall perhaps um unless these other groups are making up the slack that have come up recently like you know the second Amendment foundation the firearms policy well, coalition. Here, hold on. let me let me let me because i, I want to get to that in, in in a second in terms of the the organizations that might be picking up the slack but one of the sure. things that was fascinating to me was granted Twitter is not real life. And, and while I do pride myself at least for that website of having a, a more diverse audience than your average political uh, uh, pundit, uh, it is it is certainly not something that I would say is representative. And yet all the gun rights people, when I tweeted out your article, came back at mm-hmm. me with very, very, very anti NRA stances. So let me clear this up. These are people who are yeah. gigantic fans of the second amendment and are fiercely, I, I, I would, it would take a, a guess to say that the majority of people that, that at replied me were probably single issue voters on some level for gun rights. And yet they mm-hmm. hate the NRA and they hate Wayne LaPierre. I don't know if this is a generational thing, if it's an online thing, but I have to ask you, even though you're right, look, five million people, especially in the in the right districts, they're going to pay attention to NRA grades and, and stuff like that with public figures. But right now, as I talk to you in 2021, how powerful is the NRA and is it indeed waning in power? Yeah, well, that's that's the I guess the million dollar question, right, is as how powerful are they? But I do think that um, you hit on a. Um, a good point. And one that I think a lot of people on the left don't, don't really grasp. Uh, Cause I, you know, on, a lot of people on the left, they see the NRA as like very extreme on firearms. Right. And, and they, they see them as, as far right. Um, oftentimes you'll, you'll see people make that argument if they're liberal activists, but uh, on the right, uh, the NRA is not viewed that way at all. Um, especially within the gun rights movement. Um, they are generally viewed as the more moderate group. Um, and for years now, you know, the, the main way that you had these other groups come up and get any sort of attention or membership is by being to the right of the NRA and criticizing the NRA for, uh, compromising too often or whatever. Um, and so you do see, you, you, there has been a, for a long time, uh, a contingent on in the gun rights movement that doesn't like the NRA because they view them as sellouts um, for, you know, you can go back years for all sorts of different uh, things that the NRA has done that people haven't liked, um, whether it was, you know, uh, really being involved in even even being involved in discussions about gun control bills can uh, be viewed by some people as a, you know, capitulation or whatever. Um, And then, and then you also have more recent things like that are less about uh, politics and maybe more about like culture where for instance, uh, Flando Castile uh, shooting a lot of gun rights activists, uh, grassroots types were very upset by that, uh, by that shooting. and, and thought it was, you know, a terrible uh, violation of, of his rights, the way that that went down and um, didn't like the NRA's response to it. Didn't feel like the NRA was was forceful enough in how they responded. Um, and so that and was so get, just, 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 to, just to refresh the, the Philando Castile story that if, if memory serves was a, a black gun owner that was killed and, and the NRA did not sufficiently to some grassroots activists stand up for him. Yeah, that's right. He was um, pulled over 
in, I, I believe it was Minnesota. Minnesota, uh, yeah. Yeah. And he was, uh, had an, uh, uh, he was carrying a gun legally. Um, he had, he had a permit and, uh, the police officer during the exchange shot and killed him. Um, and, uh, you know, that was caught on video, uh, and was obviously got received a lot of attention. And there were a lot of gun rights activists that felt like the NRA should have done more to speak out about that issue. And you still see people bring that up quite a lot. And so there's a, there's certainly a contingent out there who feel, who feels like the NRA doesn't do enough to, um, you know, uh, in situations like that to speak up for, um, for the gun owners that are affected. Um, and so it's, yeah, there's a, there's a whole myriad of complaints that people have about the NRA. And then obviously in recent years, most common one is that people don't like Wayne LaPierre because of all the, um, well, at this point he's admitted to a number of them, the things, uh, a number of the uh, financial improprieties, like, you know, taking private jets, um, so, so you're Everywhere saying that, that it might be the only thing that many, uh, that, that, that many gun owners and gun single issue gun rights voters would agree with Letitia James on is that Wayne LaPierre is a crook. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's a, there's definitely a contingent. I think that would be the most common response that I get when I write about the NRA um, it, from, from gun rights advocates or, you know, gun owners on, especially online, it, it probably is there probably is something of a, a generational gap involved there and a and a, you know a, a difference between your online activists and and just like the normal guy who's you know in a retired guy who likes who owns guns and likes to hunt and goes to the NRA's annual meeting every year you know uh maybe he doesn't hasn't even heard of any of this perhaps yeah. or doesn't uh or maybe use it as like uh I mean, often as like uh, blown out of the proportion or whatever. Um, but the vast majority of people that I directly hear from are people who don't like Wayne, want him to resign, uh, and then um, want someone else to take over the NRA, or they just don't even like the NRA at all, um, and and uh, you know prefer to go to other groups. But uh, certainly, I think that has an effect on um, <clears throat> Uh, on their influence. And then it's also somewhat ironic because if you follow their bankruptcy proceedings, right. And, and they, they're using this bankruptcy to try and get out of the New York uh, uh, litigation. Right. And one of the th- reasons they're doing that is so they can try and keep Wayne LaPierre as the executive vice president, the argument goes from NRA leadership and from their lawyers that Wayne is so important to the NRA. Like he's, basically irreplaceable. Um, they argue that his fundraising, uh, abilities <clears throat> basically, um, are just unmatched and couldn't possibly be replicated by anyone else. And so he, and that, you know, he has such a great rapport with the NRA members and donors that nobody else could take his place. And, but at, at the same time, and when I write about the NRA or I talk to other, you know, gun rights activists. And, you know, it's not a scientific poll by any means, but I hear the exact opposite. People won't give money <laughs> yeah. to the NRA because of Wayne LaPierre and the corruption scandal. He kind of seems, and God, I have no idea how big the gray area on this Venn diagram is going to be, but he seems like like a, a Sepp Blatter figure who was the head of FIFA 
that was legendarily corrupt. He was legendarily corrupt and yet never left because for whatever reason, his roots were so entrenched in that organization that it took a massive mega scandal to unseat him. And I wonder whether or not Wayne LaPierre is in that same boat. What I would ask you though, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean, um, they, I think the fact that they went into bankruptcy (laughs) to avoid that New York case probably tells you a lot about what they think about their chances in that New York case. Yeah. Right. And that they would rather take this Hail Mary approach than fire the executives at the top of the organization. Man. Uh, uh, All right. So the, uh, you mentioned before that there were these these organizations that were kind of uh, waiting in the wings and are, are are gaining in popularity as the NRA goes through these troubles. Uh, I I find it fascinating, mostly because what we do here on on this show is just try to track influence, try to try to know the lay of the land, so you know we are we are not left or we are not right, but we try to be correct uh, uh, in terms of what's going to happen. The NRA is unmatched. I, I think it is synonymous with with gun rights, at least in terms of mainstream media and certainly on the left. What are these other organizations that are gaining in popularity and how do they differ from the NRA philosophically? Yeah, certainly. Well, one thing I, I do want to emphasize this, right? The, the NRA is at this moment in time irreplaceable to the gun rights movement. There is no one else who can handle performing all of the actions that they perform. You know, certainly, uh, even even LaPierre has admitted that he took at least three hundred thousand dollars worth of excess benefits, as they they called it, um, <laughs> in their tax phrase. filings. They admitted that. There's sort of their strategy in court is kind of basically to be like, yeah, we had problems but we've fixed them all. That's their general That's argument. That's their play, uh, yeah. Like they fired their old CFO. They fired two CFOs now um, in the span of, you know, the last two years and then, or three years. And they, they've, uh, you know, they fired uh, the former uh, right hand to, they fired a lot of people. <laughs> they fired yes. the former right hand to LaPierre. They fired the former top lobbyist. They fired the Oliver North, the president. Um, you know, now, Obviously, the critics would say that they, you know, LaPierre is still running the organization um, and all the the board members who have the power are still all all there. So uh, anyway, they uh, uh, their argument is that they've performed and that's why they should be allowed to, you know, go through this bankruptcy with their leadership intact and then reform themselves in Texas. But any, anyway, um, I do want to mention that they, they are. I want to emphasize that they are irreplaceable. There's no, uh, as much as there may be, um, you know, skimming off the top basically by, by some of the executives there. um, At the same time, it's a $400 million organization that does a lot of work across the country, both uh, at the state and, and federal level. Like there really isn't anyone else in the gun rights movement that has a competent nationwide <clears throat> lobbying or organization like that. Um, it just doesn't exist. Now, 
they um, and then at the same time, you know, they have the largest gun safety training program in the world. Um, this and most states actually uh, require uh, NRA classes as forms of uh, proof of training for things like concealed carry licenses. So this group is is a, a monolith in the in the gun rights movement in guns in general. Uh, there's really no one else that matches. Even Bloomberg, you know, with, with all the money he's got to throw at at uh, his gun control groups, like he still can't match the NRA. He still he still got outspent by NRA membership in the last election. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's an important point to make. Like, there really isn't anyone who can who can just pop up tomorrow and replace them if they were to go away. It would take a long time. It would probably happen eventually. Yeah, because. The, the thing that makes the NRA powerful, again, is the membership, which is representative of the larger gun owning community and the fact that they really believe in, in, in owning guns for a variety of different reasons. But <clears throat> there are a number of other groups out there that do really important work as well. You know, at the state level, there's, there's a, just a ton of state level groups that do really important work, probably uh, oftentimes more than the NRA affiliates do in the state. Like, um, for instance, in Virginia, there's the Virginia Citizens Defense League, which really takes point on uh, uh, legislation in the state um, <clears throat> and, and you know, grassroots activism in the state. And you see groups like that everywhere throughout the country. Uh, but on the national level, you also have um, groups that really uh, – at this point are doing a lot more than the NRA in, uh, in the courts, uh, is one area where we see sort of alternatives and they've been around, you know, they're not brand new, most of them, but you have like the second amendment foundation, which was part of, um, the Heller and, and McDonald, uh, decisions like their, their cases were, in, uh, key components to basically the jurisprudence that the Supreme court has right now on gun rights. Um, and on on the Second Amendment, and you know they're extremely active. They're much smaller than the NRA. You know they're a couple million dollar organization, um, but they do a lot of a lot of legal work. Uh, and then you have a group like uh, Firearms Policy Coalition, which is more of a uh, recent upstart. Uh, they 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 got their start in California, but now they've started taking on a lot more national level work. And they they too are focused. Um, quite a lot on, on gun rights litigation um, and have had a number of successes in recent years and are also pushing uh, cases through the federal courts in hopes of, you know, getting up to the Supreme Court, um, um, you know, for them to take more cases at that level. Um, and, you know, these groups tend to, you know, they tend to be um, in sometimes uneasy partnership with the NRA, like they'll file lawsuits together occasionally. Yeah. Um, there's always a bit of, uh, you know, uh, concern over who gets credit for what, right. Territory. Um, yeah. But, but they do, they will occasionally work together. They'll occasionally criticize each other as well. So, um, then you have groups like the national shooting sports foundation, which is, you know, it's funny the the, the left, uh, a lot of people on the left call the NRA, you know, the gun lobby. Uh, and, and I always found that kind of ironic because there is an actual gun lobby. Uh, like there's, it exists. It's called yeah. the National yeah. Shooting Sports Foundation. They, they represent actual 
the, they're the trade group for gun manufacturers and retailers. Uh, so they're, they're obviously very big. They put on a uh, shot show in Vegas every year. It's like, uh, like CES, I guess my, more people probably heard of CES, the consumer electronics show. Probably. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's like that, but for guns. Well, maybe uh, there they add Alexa to everything as well. That would be a very interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting thing to see. Uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what; those are all names to watch, and and certainly the the fate of the NRA is something that uh, I think anybody who cares about politics really, really, really should follow. Uh, and yeah. I, I thought your reporting on this was great. Uh, Stephen Gutowski, the founder of the Reload, is where you can read. His work. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Politics, politics, politics is written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young, for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. One last headline to get you out the door. Uh, following up on our Gavin Newsom conversation a little bit Earlier in the episode, new poll shows that opposition to his recall is growing. That's good news for Gavin. According to this new poll, 36% of Californians uh, believe that Gavin should go and 49% believe he should stay. If you're Gavin Newsom, you want those poll numbers to start reflecting how many Democrats and how many Republicans are in the state. Because there's, there's going to be 30 something, um, you know, percentage of, of people that want them gone, but they're mostly the only, they're the Republicans. They're, they're the permanent minority. Uh, You don't want the middle of the road Democrats. And right now things are going well. He's going to put some money in people's pockets. That is good news for Hey, uh, uh, if you would like to thank Stephen Gutowski for coming on the show and talking to us, you can do so by going to px3guest.com. That'll bring you right to his Twitter. If you want to email me, you can do so at theyoungamerican at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at px3tweets on Twitch. Building out our new studio, man. It's pretty cool. Wednesday, Thursday, Friday with some possible guest appearances by my brother and my mother. I'm going to try and rope them in on the stream this week. You can do that by going to px3live.com. Get our newsletter, px3newsletter.com. Share this uh, this podcast with your friends at px3podcast.com and go get your COVID shots equals body shots, T-shirts, and other merch from this show at politicsmerch.com. Com. If you'd like to support us with a one-time donation, you can do so. PayPal.me slash payjury. Our Venmo is Justin-Young-20. And let's go ahead and see about our Venmo Buccaneers. Always the best when people send me a dollar. Makes me laugh. Makes me, makes me very happy. Nicholas sent me a buck. Not to be outdone by Mike, who sent me a dollar and 69 cents. Nice. If you're on Cash App, you can do so. PX3 Cash. And if you want to hit up our P.O. Box to send a physical check or, or unmarked bills or any other gift, 
You can do so at P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. Again, that is P.O. Box 153184, Austin, Texas 78715. But if you want our bonus episodes, including our brand new Monday PX3 Extra, giving you the framing of the political week that you've always deserved, you got to head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. It's the $3 tier that gets you two bonus podcasts per week, covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. But it is only our $10 tier that gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic $10 tier. Including Headphones Neil, Dr. G, the other half of Whiskey Wednesday, Idris, the government unfiltered podcast, 100 Mile Runner, Berkeley, Stephen, Kathy, Max, Zombie Doc, D, really? Methuselah, Honeythuckle, the Jan, Middle Age, Mike.com, Junkie, Calamity, Zap, D, Laser, Lord, Scale, De Quince, and Neil the Third. And Gloria Young for New World Order. Utah, Jimmy, Montana. Appraisers are awesome. Snuffies off Route 44. Miranda Janelle, Jenny, Robert, Casey, Paul, the most conscientious nonpartisan listeners, Brad, Charles, Archie, David, Olin, and Angela, DL, just another pilot, Frozen Summers, Jay Pink, and... Andrew, you want your name read on the show? Only one place where you can get it every single week. And that is to support independent political analysis and journalism at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Uh, for patrons, you guys are going to get a bonus podcast, as you always do, on Thursday. For everybody else, on Friday, we've got the big return of the political triad. Young, Heaton, Briny. It's time to reconvene. And uh, uh, let me tell you, I am pumped to talk to my brethren on this show uh, folks, guys, if you have not listened to Jen Briney's Congressional Dish episode about the uh, Texas power outages, uh, you really got to do it. It's exceptional. She's doing great work as always. Heaton just did a great podcast uh, talking with a British writer about the very specific differences between England and America on what freedom means Keaton with the esoteric Briony with the operational throughout Congress and me with the electoral Mm-mm-mm. when you run the weave like that how can it be anything other than a layup you are going to hear the results on Friday until then this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more talk about politics. But this, this is the only show that dares talk about how three. 
Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio. <laughs>